0: Hi, and welcome to Blademore's podcast series, Center Stage. My name is Jamal Days, and I'm a director of digital at Blademore. On Center Stage, we tackle the issues that business communicators face, from investor communications to ESG to employee engagement and brand. In this episode, we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence, otherwise known as AI, and the impact it's having on corporate communications. And today, I'll be joined by Anthony Coombs, creative director here at Blademore. Hi, Ann. Hi, Jamal. Anne, I think before we dive into this episode, it's probably worth just kind of bringing things back to basics. I think there's a lot of interest around AI... And it's getting a lot of attention, grabbing headlines at the moment, everything from chat GPT, taking over all of our jobs to the kind of doomsday scenario of robots replacing humans. It's really important to distinguish that there are kind of four different types of AI. And really, there are only two that are having a real meaningful impact in the way that we work today. So those two are reactive machines, which is basically AI with no memory. It just able to number crunch incredibly quickly so if you think about Netflix or Spotify being able to give you curated playlists but based on analyzing every song or film you have ever watched that is a reactive machine we then have limited memory AI so this is the kind of AI that does improve over time a bit like how our brains develop as children so those neurons all connecting And this AI is seen in chatbots and self-driving cars, AI that effectively is learning as it goes, as well as remembering what's gone on before and then using that to predict what might happen in the future. So that's a really interesting form of AI, which is still fairly new in terms of the way it's starting to get used today, but obviously is making a lot of headway. The other two types of AI are really interesting, but they're the AI that at the moment, it's purely science fiction, it's in films. And that is theory of mind, So machines acquiring decision-making capabilities equal to humans, We're not there yet. And self-aware AI. So this is the real doomsday moment of AI waking up and having its own emotions as well as understanding our emotions. And as interesting as they are, that's probably a podcast for 20 years time because we simply aren't there yet. Today's real focus is on how we're seeing AI embedded into the way that we work, the way that we communicate, and the way that our clients communicate. So do you want to start by telling me a little bit about how AI is starting to influence the way that you and your team work in the design studio?
1: Well, like you said, AI has been with us in one form or another for a while. We've been living with it. You know, we've just been not taking it for granted, but it, it's been there as a tool. We've been using it and kind of relying on it. I guess the most obvious use of AI is in the software that we use and its ability to automate some of the kind of more technical or mundane tasks that we do. You know, It's, it's great for creating layouts or having preset styles, being able to batch actions and do some of that kind of more repetitive work. What's shocking is how quickly generative AI is taking off. You know, that's that's on a real learning curve and it's quite astounding. We've been living with AI for a while. Probably a good example of that is, is something we've, we've done ourselves. So the um, the More app, which was done, I don't know, five years ago?
0: Yeah, we developed an app. And th- the idea was that it was a value add for the coaching part of our business. So we know that human connection is really important and that our clients really value spending time with our coaches and getting that additional insight. But as a value added tool, we had the ability to actually record someone's speech or their presentation any kind of form of audio communication. We were able to then transfer that audio into a secure environment in the cloud, have machine learning perform huge amounts of calculations on the audio. So looking at speech flow, looking at the speed, volume, actually transcribing the text instantly, and then sending all of that data back to us. So effectively, you've got an AI model there, which is doing very kind of specific tasks, but it's creating a whole wealth of information that you can then use to present back in a really interesting way. So that's just one example of us kind of tapping into a machine learning model, but we're expressing it in lots of other ways. So, you know, we have clients who still really value the, the kind of human connection through customer support, but perhaps through the scale of their organization, are unable to process the amount inquiries that are coming through. So chatbots is another great example where AI is able to step in and to bridge the gap between the customer and the client. So we have one particular client who is a complaints based service and we launched a chatbot on their website which uses a very low level AI, but that AI is able to kind of understand the sentiment of what someone is asking for and then work out what an appropriate response is, whether that's connecting them to a call center to speak to someone or whether giving them FAQ advice on how to solve their issue. So those are just kind of two examples which are pretty prevalent today in society you go to most banks and before you get through to customer support you're probably interacting with a chatbot that chatbot is based on an ai model and it just allows banks and organizations to kind of have that human connection at scale so if you've got, you know, 20,000 customers wanting to speak to a call center of 400 people, you can manage that process. I guess kind of those types of tools have been around for a while. But what we're starting to see now is the kind of generative AI, where it's starting to get really interesting in terms of what it can do with imagery, with film, with audio. Are your team starting to kind of use those tools at Bladermore? Yeah, it's interesting
1: because, again, that, that technology has been around, but you could always spot the fake stuff. What's scary at the moment is it's getting more and more difficult to to work out what's fake and what's not. And it happens so quickly as well. You know, the ability to create something from scratch, not just copy or images, but video and music, it's all happening very quickly and it's very believable. And I, I guess that can seem a little bit scary just how quickly it is kind of happening but I think with any with any technology you kind of you soon get used to it I, mean, I remember you know during lockdown getting used to video calls and some of the things we've been playing with the augmented reality or that sort of thing you soon adapt you soon learn to kind of live with it and kind of make good use of it yeah with the same more app what's interesting is kind of the way that it's helped coaches concentrate on what they do well and and some of the technical stuff like pacing or marking when people are putting breathing or or ums and ahs into into their speech, that's done by the machine. So, you know, you, you can effectively get that done separately and then concentrate on the kind of more value-added work that they do. And I think that that's true for most of what we do here, being able to kind of free us up to be more creative, be more innovative,
0: be more kind of thoughtful about the way we go about planning
1: communication.
0: That's exactly it. I think, you know, ultimately there's, there's so much nuance to good communication. And ultimately when the coach is there in person there's huge amounts of things that they're able to offer clients which you simply couldn't get in an app so the app is a brilliant value add it's something the client can have in their pocket if they want to go home and practice their presentation it's quite nice knowing that they can kind of record an hour of audio and get some really kind of interesting data points back but that's never going to replace the the service we're offering for one-to-one coaching um, and so for us as a free add-on to our existing clients it was a really interesting project to work on is it going to replace our coaching team absolutely not and i can't really see that happening in, in the near future perhaps when that version four of the AI model comes out with self-awareness you might have to have a conversation but certainly at this point in time it's just simply crunching the numbers it's it's a super calculator and that's pretty much the metaphor I would use for most of the ways that we're using AI today so I guess another area is in ideation and content creation and that's where we're starting to see platforms like chat GPT taking off where you can literally have a conversation with it you can ask it to come up with themes and ideas and it will kind of generate content which is pretty believable in the way that it kind of gives you those messages back do you see that playing a role in? the way that we start to create content at Bladermore, Yeah, and it's kind of liberating.
1: You know, literally anyone can pick up AI and create these amazingly realistic photos or copy videos music there's a lot you can do and it's open to anyone you know, if you know how to talk to ai to create the prompts and and be confident in what you're asking then you know literally anyone can do it and that's kind of helps break some of the limitations down of what we do but also for our clients as well they're they're able to get more involved in the work that we do you know a lot of the kind of innovation around the software actually helps clients serve themselves you know they they're, they're Happily getting on and getting involved. What it does do is put more pressure on us to kind of think about what those prompts are and and you know what the brand is about. You know what the tone of voice is doing. What assets uh, the AI can draw from. Uh, it's a lot more specialist, I say. You know, with this technology being available to everyone, it could go anywhere. So being able to channel it and support the communications is probably where we come in. Being able to offer that guidance and often it's reassurance as well. Just making sure we, we are saying and doing the right thing things when we are working with AI.
0: What do you see being the main risks to corporate communicators with the kind of emergence of this new AI technology? Are there particular areas that we should be mindful of, whether that's accuracy of content, data security, are there any kind of areas that you think pose a particular risk to us?
1: The big issue is around copyright, and I guess what what's behind that is how the AI itself has been trained, you know, where is it pulling the source material from? And what intellectual property does the original creator have you know how can you kind of take ownership of your original material if you know it's been kind of reinvented by us you know, the music industry gets that a lot with kind of remixing and uh, and now it's happening across all sorts of other media as well. <laughs> the amusing example that I, I kind of use is how some, you know, not naming any names, but some uh, AI systems have been generating Getty watermark images. So they, they see these watermarks on so many images, they, they assume that's on every image. And now any new image has a Getty watermark, even though it's nothing to do with the library itself.
0: How's Adobe got around that? Because clearly, you know, they've launched their new version of Photoshop, which has... It's kind of generative prompts where you can ask it to, I don't know, stick a sun in the background or clean up the grass, and it will literally kind of go in and, and do a lot of the artwork, and that would typically take a designer probably several several hours, if not days, to do.
1: Adobe are really clever. They built their own image library years ago. You know, it's been building a stock of images, which we've been using. It's, it's available. But that essentially has created a walled garden. So... They've fed their AI on their own proprietary stuff. They know where this source material is coming from because they own it. And I think that's really smart. Yeah. And probably something that we'll do at more we'll begin to build our own AIs and create this walled garden so our content is protected. There is a danger of putting stuff out there. You don't know where it's going to go. But you know, if you think about these walled gardens as where you grow the assets or you kind of develop your brand, as it were, and you protect that, And I think knowing that your AI has got a clean source to draw from. I think that's that's kind of where it's all going, and, and Adobe ahead on that game. I'm not not sure how, how Getty are playing that. Obviously, they've got a, a bigger, more complex ecosystem to manage. But yeah, it seems generally that's where it's all going. The, the idea of these walled gardens and just protecting the assets. There was um, there was quite a funny, it's quite a historical case now when can't remember who it was, might have been Getty. Some image library took an illustrator to court because so this illustrator was basically copying stock images without buying them. And the argument they had was that they were just kind of reinventing the image. But it was so blatantly obvious that there was a pure copy from a rights-owned image. And I think, if I remember well, the illustrator lost that. You know, the IP was protected. And I think, you know, whether it is a human or a machine, there is still that sense of taking what's not yours. And, and that seems to be a good guide. Whether you're able to tell, so I think credibility is the biggest worry for me. You know, Can I trust the images that are provided? Do I know where it's come from? Does it represent reality? You know, am I effectively dealing with a false image? You know a lot of a lot of celebrities will use retouching and kind of you know a lot of magazines will present images that have been tweaked but essentially what we can do now is create a completely different image something from scratch and I know a lot of
0: people are worried about that I think that's really important I mean ultimately you know being a big a good communicator is all about human connection, but more importantly, building trust. And the kind of downside to AI is all of the deep fakes out there. So, you know, whether it's audio, video, imagery, as you said, kind of Photoshop, touches, up, touching up all that kind of stuff. If it gets to a point where you're no longer able to distinguish between what is real and what isn't, that kind of breaks that trust barrier. I think that can be a real issue in terms of the way that corporates communicate with their, with their audiences. I also think for us, it's really important that, and I think you've touched on this already, that we do think about security as part of this. So it's all about empowering experimentation. You want your your teams to really kind of be pushing the boundaries to have a look at these platforms and to really kind of get creative with, but we need to be mindful of the type of work that we're doing. So in terms of what information we're feeding AIs, you know, if we're using platforms like ChatGPT, we have to be acutely aware that we can't be putting information into that environment that isn't already in the public domain. If we're going to start getting kind of deeper, into kind of using those types of models and clearly some kind of ring-fenced data center that is our own training model is the, is the way to go where we know that information is not going to be seen externally to our organization. We also have to double-check everything. You know, we've been testing AI's perception of our business and every time we kind of ask it a question, we seem to get a different answer. I think at one point, Blademore was founded by, you know, one of our designers and it has offices in Hong Kong. There are lots of examples where they kind of call it chatbot hallucinations where it starts to go off-piste. And so despite the fact natural language processing is designed to convince you you're having a conversation with a human the reality is it's not always going to be truthful and factful and I think it's really important that when we are using it that we are actually sense checking the content that is being created and actually using it as a starting point to ideate rather than as a final solution so if you're looking to come up with a list of phrases or acronyms or descriptions for a business it's a great way to almost crowdsource your own thought processes but it's not going to be the engine to create your content. So we don't want to see content from AI suddenly going into print or going onto web pages. We're not at that stage yet. It's very much around the generative creation, ideation, almost spitballing until you come to a point where you've got something, you've got a hook you can latch onto. And then obviously using our own internal expertise to kind of define and shape that forward. I mean, another really interesting area that we're using in bladermore is the idea of being able to scan huge amounts of data and come up with different ideas. So specifically on websites, an area that we've always struggled with when we're creating content is optimising that content for search engines which are very technical very specific in terms of what they're looking for and don't always align with the messaging and the narrative that business wants to get across. So an example of that is on a website you have a lovely well-written page that's been written by our consultants as part of our message house we then need to have a very condensed title, description and set of keywords that get plumbed into Google so you know what is the context of that page it's a job that our clients hate doing it's a job that we're not particularly keen on doing and it's a job that actually AI could fill in so we're in the process now of building a mini chatbot for our websites where once you've created a page you can then say right give me four keyword suggestions can you optimize my title for Google and for LinkedIn can you write me a really concise description and again it's not going to put that content straight into the website but it's going to ideate and give you some options that you can then may use edit refine and ultimately place on the website so it's just another example of how we can very quickly crunch huge amounts of information and then have the ai act as a bit of an aid to giving our editors some ideas of how to use that content what do you see the ai landscape looking like in the next five years i mean clearly it's something we can't predict but do you have any ideas as to how it might be impacting your team in the long run
1: i'm feeling fairly confident only because we deal in creativity and i think creativity is well it's it's is probably what it's not, actually. Creativity is not a, a formulaic process. It, it's not data-driven, particularly. It's not about standardising Um if we think about ai it's it's looking for patterns it's it's looking to tell us what we want to hear and and creativity is kind of almost the opposite it's kind of looking for standout it's looking to kind of tackle problems in uncalculated ways we We deal in kind of divergent thinking, a little bit of disruption, a little bit of positive disruption. I think there's going to be a greater need for that as we are kind of surrounded by what I would describe as the average. We need to kind of invest in the extraordinary what what is going to kind of reinvent? repurpose some of the things that we take for granted. Going back to that kind of divergent thinking, a good example of that, and it's an interview question, something I've been thinking about, is that question around how many uses can you think for a paperclip? So most people will think about ten to fifteen ideas and pretty much run dry after that. Clipping things together, you know, making interesting kind of connections or uh, resetting a smoke detector, that sort of thing. Interestingly, kids do the job a lot better than adults because they don't have the same constraints. They're much more able to use their imagination and go beyond the obvious. And I think that kind of describes how humans and machines will work together. You know, the, the machine will give you the obvious, will give you the kind of standard, and then it's up to to us to kind of use our imagination to go beyond that and and kind of challenge things in a less of a kind of direct way, you know, be a bit more unconventional. What that means in terms of kind of practical stuff is how how we use the AI, so how we feed it. It's asking better questions. It's being able to kind of stretch the thinking and challenge the AI to go further and do more, you know, reveal the kind of insight that over time you would do anyway, but AI just makes it that much quicker, that much kind of more accessible. Yeah, you know, I, I at the way we use prompts as the same way we use brand guides or kind of um, tone of voice guides or style guides. You know, we, we define what is right and wrong, what we'd encourage, what we'd discourage, what is the essence of the brand. You know, what are the kind of rules or behavior or values that kind of inhabit a brand? And those
0: are the prompts that would feed AI to do, go and do, you know, extraordinary things. Kind of taking it back to corporates, obviously like there's huge amounts of channels now they have access to. To communicate with their with their audience, and it's always on. You know, the internet, social media. You know, gone are the days of having you know an article taken out in a publication once a quarter, maybe the odd kind of insight on TV. Now it's this kind of 24, 7 365 communications with your audience. And it can be very difficult to get that cut through because of all of those channels. And I think the interesting thing about AI is its ability to provide huge amounts of analysis and insight, which will allow those communicators to be more efficient and targeted in how they do that communication. So if you look at sentiment analysis is a really good example. You know, Previously, you would have to conduct huge amounts of surveying and polling to kind of start to understand who your audience are, what makes them tick, what they're interested in, how they want to consume your content. And as that starts to shift towards AI, I mean, there are platforms like Sprout Social, which can kind of give you some really interesting machine learning based sentiment analysis, which can kind of give you insights as to exactly what your audience are into, which bits of the content that you're creating is making them tick and where they're most likely to go to get that information. And it just means that communicators can then be far more targeted. So rather than kind of creating huge amounts of content and putting it everywhere, you can say, actually, our investor audience, this is how they typically want to in- interact with us let's kind of be much more targeted and precise about how we get to that content group the same for people who are interested in careers internal engagement all of these different kind of audience groups you're then able to be far more efficient in the way that you create content and get to them but it is a challenge and as you said you know ai is just the next big leap in this continual technological evolution it can be overwhelming at times but i think the difference between say ai and social media is that If it starts to kind of fill in some of the more mundane tasks, maybe that will free up more time for us as humans, as communicators to be more creative, to think about what it is we really want to do rather than trying to do everything. It's almost kind of filling in those gaps. I mean, personally, I don't see AI replacing members of my team. I just see it freeing up them to do the things that they love doing you know when i first joined bladermore we always had to hire someone who knew how to operate the machinery so we, if we're running a bunch of websites they're going to be hosted on a physical server which is basically just a very big computer and you would need someone qualified who knew what to do when it broke whereas now everything lives in the cloud you know, up in the sky. The reality is that's just a self-driven, machine-learned environment that knows how to adapt. So if, for example, one of my websites gets coverage on the BBC, on the radio, and suddenly you have 20,000 people going to the site at the same time, gone are the days of having to have a, a developer logging in and increasing the memory on the server. The system itself can now scale automatically and the reality is it was a job no one wanted to do that's now freeing up our devs to do things they love doing which is experimentation it's being creative it's building things that they really enjoy building not worrying about whether you know a 5 year old server is going to fall over because a website was featured on the one show so i think the skill sets will have to pivot as this technology evolves but i don't see it certainly in the short term wiping out huge amounts of the workforce i think it's just going to be a case of people adapting to work alongside it a bit like the calculator you know it's an aid rather than a you know a, a robot that's going to start walking around the office doing all the job?
1: I think it's, it's fair to say that Blademore is a sort of comms agency that the thing that we do, in all that we do is anticipate behaviour, whether that's kind of media training or campaign work, you know, user experience for a website, we're, at, we're in, anticipating human interaction. The machine is good at kind of mapping that and kind of learning patterns. Design's always been good at anticipating behavior, you know, how how we react to things, the the kind of visceral response that you get through design, through comms, through film, you know, that kind of engagement has always been there you know the reason clients come to us is because we're good at anticipating how their audiences might feel or react you know running scenarios being able to kind of interpret or kind of um, project how something might play out what an ideal state might look like and especially with brand brands for me is always about you know the kind of ideal state you know what would it look like if everything went well you know, and how do we get there so i think we've already done that for a long time you know, it's already been part of who we are and what we do. We often get asked to kind of mock up visuals, you know, and how believable they are has depended on how much time we can put into them, but with AI being almost instant, it's made that side of things a lot more easily available. So you're able to fake scenarios, whether it's kind of a, you know, a natural event or an extension of reality, we're able to kind of do extraordinary things in Photoshop to kind of make make it very realistic. That's where my worry comes when those images are out there whether you trust
0: them or not because they could easily be picked up as the truth and and really they're not and but that comes back to security doesn't it so in 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 the example where we have created fake assets for a a crisis communication training sessions we had to make sure that that environment is ring-fenced so there are two things that we do the, the environment that the client is using is locked down so it's password protected um, it's not able to be indexed by search engines. Any imagery that we create that isn't real has to be watermarked with simulation over the top effectively kind of striped throughout the picture so that even if that image was someone took a picture of it on their smartphone and say oh look what this agency have done to our facility this isn't, isn't this brilliant? You can still see clearly that the image has the wording which makes sure that it is clearly marked as not real. But it but it is a problem and I think the reality is that as AI steps up and more of this content gets out there, the ability to decipher what is real and what isn't becomes more of a challenge. And I think, but that's a problem that, you know, may come through with regulation in the crypto space. There are lots of governance tokens which have been designed to, to authenticate trust. So that may start to connect with AI in the sense that if something is generated by AI, there is some way of watermarking it within the source code or within the asset, that it can always be distinguished as, as not real. It's going to get harder and there's going to be challenges, but that's I don't think that's going to be able to stop the pace of how the technology is evolving over over the short term.
1: Yeah, and it's remembering to do that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we use meta tags to kind of, you know, not only document what type of content it is, but also, you know, the equipment used to create it. And I guess with equipment, we now mean AI. If it hasn't been generated through a camera, then it must have been generated in a different way. and You can you can log all that in the metadata. Mm. But a lot of that is, is hidden. You just wouldn't be aware of it. Unless you go into the file, you wouldn't know. Mm. So the new software coming through is, is tagging that way.
0: Yeah. But
1: it's just remembering to kind of look for it and be aware.
0: I know mean, there was a classic story of kids in the States starting to write their dissertations using yeah. ChatGPT, but then there was a secondary chatbot which was able to decipher AI-written text versus human text, and so effectively the lecturers are able to pass all of the essays back into a secondary system, and it come back and say there is a high probability that this content was generated by ChatGPT, as well as the fact that understanding that ChatGPT actually does archive pretty much all of the chats that you create. So you know maybe that's going to be a case for OpenAI to work with Institutions to say, look, we can now identify and tell you when content is being created on our platform versus being generated by a human. Clearly, lots of challenges out there, but also lots of opportunities as well.
1: Yeah, a lot of content does get regurgitated. You know, you you see it again and again. The amount of brand guidelines I've read and written that are kind of evolution of what went before. And I guess um, musicians use that as well. A lot of the music we hear now is a, a reinterpretation. So the argument goes both ways. You can't lock everything down because then you limit creativity. But at the same time, you want to protect your your property. You want to kind of be able to make a living out of
0: it. Yeah, I mean, look, it's evident that AI is is it's revolutionising corporate communications in lots of remarkable ways. Whether it's you know, new versions of Photoshop that allow you to generate really kind of complex images that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to do efficiently, or Chatbots or even kind of automated scripts, which kind of help you understand more about your audience. There's huge amounts of potential for the way that it works, but also we have to kind of mediate that against the risks and the challenges as well. And so, as an agency, you know, we're all for experimentation and encouraging people to kind of really kind of push the boundaries, but just making sure that there is some basic safeguarding in place so that a, you know, we're not risking data issues, data security, and also that you know the, the content that we're creating and the work we're creating is is genuine. And it represents a client it hasn't just been spun off by a machine in, in 30 seconds so I think for us it's it's an interesting time um, and we don't know what's around the corner but we also see lots of opportunity here and I think it's something we're going to continue to look at and hopefully kind of involve our clients with as much as possible. really appreciate you joining me today Anne.
1: Thanks Jamal it was, it was good fun who knows where we'll be in 12 months time.
0: Well, thanks for listening to this episode on Artificial Intelligence. Please do subscribe to Center Stage on any platforms that you use to listen to your podcasts. And uh, we'll see you in the next one.